we are the students of Dr. Banu Menanavati College of Pharmacy and the student council members of Public Health Office. Our committee attempts to create social awareness about the various aspects of health among the general public. Where there is health, there is hope, and where there is hope, there is everything. Hello and welcome to this podcast. We are the hosts for today. I, Prachi Jain. And I, Kunjal Somaya. Students of Dr. Bhanubain Nanavati College of Pharmacy. And here we are on the behalf of Public Health Office, for an exciting conversation with an absolute expert as I speak of neglected tropical diseases, specifically about dengue fever. So a very warm welcome to Dr. Sanandita Sharma, who is a co-founder of Public Health Buddies, which is an interactive knowledge sharing platform established by a group of public health professionals enthused with the vision of demystifying public health as a concept. Buddies, in a sense, holding public health at the core at their hearts, the team discusses and brings to the fore the gravest of the matters in the most lucid manner for a larger audience to comprehend. We believe in public health is a matter of the pub general public knowledge of which many a time stays locked in complicated research papers loaded with intimidating jargon terminologies, and statistics, etc. We wish to simplify those findings, translating them into interpretable, actionable facts which may improve people's lives and their knowledge about various health issues around them, which otherwise might not notice. They created many posters, infographics, videos, and live content for our viewers regarding the subject. Comprising of the team members with excellent communications and critical thinking skills, the team at Public Health Buddies has cumulative experience in the field of health for nearly two decades. More about the lady herself. She has worked in various sectors for the past six years and is a public health expert who has believed that health is a cross-cutting subject in any sphere of life, working on occupational safety for mansons, women, farmers, food security and agriculture. Dr. Sunandita has been creating engaging IEC material for a wide range of audiences. She meticulously works with her team at Public Health Buddies to meet the vision of a platform to demystify public health misconceptions through stories and initiating conversations over the matters of concern. We're so glad to have you here, ma'am, and we're grateful that you took out your valuable time for us. Uh, Without thank you so much. Thank you so much and it's such a pleasure to be here and you people are very kind with your words. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you ma'am and without much ado, we'll, we've come up with a few questions regarding dengue fever and we'd love for you to speak in regards of those. Please, I'm all ready. Uh, our first question is about what are the neglected tropical diseases and are these diseases a threat to us even after the pandemic? 
Okay. Uh, so, uh, since your question uh, is in two parts, let me first break down the terminology of neglected tropical diseases. So, first, let's talk about what are tropical diseases. As the name is suggestive, this uh, these uh, category of diseases this they peculiarly occur in tropical and sub tropical climatic um, uh, conditions. Right, and like the warm, humid, hot temperatures, they uh, provide a very good uh, breeding space for such diseases to thrive. Now, why the term neglected? So historically, these terms have these uh, diseases have been happening in, uh, you know, the uh, poor places of the world. They've been afflicting the poor. Right, and they have not received as much attention as other diseases. So the the term neglected has been coined for these diseases, and WHO identifies uh, twenty such um, diseases which are neglected tropical diseases, and these include diseases like dengue, filariasis, uh, trachoma, leishmaniasis, etc. Uh, now, uh, as you ask me that, how are these? Uh, uh, you know, posing a threat to us, especially in the times of pandemic. So like pandemic has disrupted the uh, lives of uh, in every sphere, right? It has disrupted our lives as well. So uh, uh, classically neglected tropical diseases is a subject that various uh, global organizations are taking up, right? Because they are afflicting a lot of the part of the world. So uh, uh, during pandemic, like any other diseases, uh, you know, um, what do we say? The the management of some of these diseases are being disrupted by being disruption of the supplies, the medical supplies, the diagnosis is being delayed, the community activities which are being done, which were being done for awareness and other public health activities, they've all been disrupted during this pandemic. So this pandemic basically gives time to these um, diseases to uh, come back in a much stronger way. So that's why, you know, they would pose probable threats if we are not prepared enough. That was insightful. Moving on to next question. Um, can you name a few neglected tropical diseases other than dengue in India's perspective? And how critical is the awareness of these diseases to the general public? Okay, so like I mentioned that WHO has identified 20 uh, neglected tropical diseases, out of which 11 are present in India. Okay, and uh, based on the classification, these diseases could be fungal in origin, bacterial or viral or helminthic in origin, right? Uh, so in India, we have diseases like Ascariasis, hookworm infection, lymphatic filariasis, even leprosy, uh, etc. So there are 11 of them. Some, uh, it would also include rabies, soil transmitted helminthic hel infections uh, and dengue, of course, like you mentioned. Uh, so most of these uh, most of these uh, entities are majorly chronic and they're very disabling. Right. And now when you ask me about how it is important uh, for people to have general public to have awareness about these uh, entities. So uh, India is basically home to millions of poor people, like right? many of them live in impoverished conditions. So uh, for them to have awareness about how we can prevent these diseases is essentially very, very uh, important. And uh, 
also awareness about how to maintain our hygiene how to maintain our environment uh, is again very important for general public to know to reduce the emerging burdens burden of these diseases that was really informative even i read about uh, the different ntds so mam let's talk about how dengue looks like all over the globe not just the tropical and the subtropical regions but all around the world how does dengue fever look in terms of statistics and how severe is it in other places as well okay so uh, talking about how is does it look like uh, globally we have like nearly 1 in 5 people around the world who are uh, affected by ntds particularly right and uh, dengue uh, is one of the world's most common uh, wo- vector borne diseases right i'd explain what is a vector borne disease in in a while uh, maybe uh, during our conversation ahead so it is one of the uh, world's most common vector borne diseases and it however its uh, burden is very poorly quantified if you ask me about the statistics right so there are several issues regarding surveillance and um uh, many other things that are uh, aligned to the perspective but uh, if uh, there are certain studies which attempt to still quantify it so if i may give you a reference from uh, 1990 to 2017 if we take that as a reference period so in 1990 uh, we had nearly 2 crore cases of dengue right but uh, in 2017 that number has risen to 10 crores okay so if i can put it in terms of per year how many new cases are coming up which is called the incidence um, yearly incidence of a disease so uh, in 1990 it was nearly uh, 400 cases per lakh people right which has risen to nearly 1300 cases per lakh okay in 2017 and even the deaths number of deaths um, has increased 2.5 times in the span of this 17 years right and um, as uh, talking about uh, where is it more prevalent in the regions like you said we particularly it afflicts regions like southeast asia the western uh, pacific islands latin america and africa uh, however like you said that what about the rest of the world so there are various factors which have made uh, which have ensured that these uh, worlds like europe and america don't stay apart of these diseases and um, it is recently emerging in colder climates as well yeah that is insightful it, it demands and, to be read upon and yeah so like uh, also talking about what were what are the symptoms and how basically they are uh, what kind of um, severity does dengue hold so uh, you know dengue as a as an infection can bring about can can go asymptomatic or even cause mild to severe and even sometimes it might cause fatal um, uh, instances as well right in terms of severity and uh, otherwise it's a self limiting disease it will go away on its own and it will cause uh, febrile illness and it will you know make the patient go through fever and episodes of fatigue and all those things uh, but there are two severe forms of dengue which might emerge that is the uh, hemorrhagic fever or the dengue uh, shock syndrome 
okay so this basically occurs when there are two uh, three types of virus which attack an individual right otherwise the disease might just go away uh, in a few days yeah over to you prachi yeah um so the next question is what are the various transmission factors of dengue fever okay so here let me first uh, give you a just about what are the factors which basically interact to ultimately cause um, the disease itself so there's a very famous uh, epidemiological triad in a disease in uh, communicable diseases which is consists of the host the agent and the environment okay so when you uh, when we say that what are the factors host factors which would lead to transmission or development of the disease in a person it would be the person's susceptibility how susceptible is an individual to the disease in terms of his or her immunity his or her you know um, individual factors like the age the sex the uh, various things so that that comes under what are the host factors so um, then we moving on we have the agent agent here uh, basically the the virus is carried inside the bacteria uh, the the mosquito called the aedes aegypti okay so um, when we talk of the virus itself so what type of virus is it is called the viral serotype what is the virulence of the virus whether does it really is it, is it very attacking or is it just a chill virus okay so uh, then uh, that is the virus which is uh, inside the mosquito so the mosquito sort of uh, essentially uh, injects the virus into our blood stream right so now about the mosquito who's the vector who carries the virus around in the world right so what is the vector density as in in a particular area are there more mosquitoes or less mosquitoes are there you know water pooling areas uh, is there a lot of stagnant water around so that is the uh, how often does the uh, vector breed right like so in monsoons the the density of the um, vector would go high because they would breed right so vector breeding vector density that comes under the factors of vector uh, uh, associated factors to vector now the environment is it uh, humid is it hot right is it too uh, cluttered are there a lot of uh, waste dumps around so all that comprises of what is the environment that will lead to transmission of the disease now putting all this together if i may uh, just uh, put it into uh, uh, you know a synopsis of it i would say poorly designed water systems inadequate housing poor waste disposal poor water and sanitation conditions deforestation loss of biodiversity okay so all these things coupled with individual factors that you know a person is not very good with um, immunity weak frail individual you know so all that those factors coupled together would cause the uh, successful transmission of this uh, disease that was very informative over to you punjal so man there seems to be a perpetual confusion between dengue fever and malaria fever 
so how does one differentiate and what are the points that one is supposed to keep in mind while discussing the two okay so you raise a very pertinent uh, question here as in uh, regarding awareness so basically if i should begin telling you about what are the essential differences between the two fevers so the malarial fever is marked with uh, chills and cold sweating okay so a person who's uh, who's uh, likely to have malaria is likely to have um, chills with a fe- an episode of rising fever very high grade fever and then that fever would subside uh, with lot of cold sweating okay and uh, on the other hand dengue uh, is characterized by joint pains and rashes rashes over the body right the fever is still very high and uh, what we see is that uh, in malaria the fever rises and goes down fever rises so there are spikes of fever happening but with dengue we have sustained um, fever that happens it will happen for 2 3 days it will go and then it will come back much higher all right so um, other than that there would be a fever uh, sorry there would be pain behind the ears in case of dengue so the major peculiarity if i may say for a person to say maybe you know like to be aware about whether it is dengue fever or malarial fever is by the nature of the fever right and by the joint pains the rashes if they appear on the body are the basic distinguishing features of the two fevers and um, if we have to uh, ensure like as uh, clinicians we would uh, get the blood test done and dengue basically uh, affects the platelets okay so uh, it could be like uh, spots of bleeding if there it's a very very severe dengue so uh, the platelets would go down very fast you must would have heard that platelet count has dropped right but malaria basically affects your red blood cells okay and uh, severe forms of malaria might lead might progress a person into jaundice okay so these are the basic differences so i i am purposely keeping it very basic in discussion so that our audience can understand it better but there are many technical aspects attached to it which i would Free, uh, you know, I would stop myself from venturing into. No, ma'am, definitely these were noteworthy points, and they will definitely help us and our listeners as well to distinguish between the two. Right. Um. So next question. Uh, what do you think is the root cause of having these huge numbers of dengue fever cases, particularly in India? okay so uh, like i mentioned in at the outset that uh, dengue basically happens in um, areas where there are uh, poor water sanitation conditions poor hygiene and uh, lack of proper waste disposal practices right uh, poor sewage systems etc so uh, in india if we see if i can like clearly cite a few of the reasons i would say uh, it would be one would be um, unplanned urbanization okay so we see our urban slums i mean if you visit an urban slum in india or even a rural place uh, 
they are very cluttered they do not have proper uh, sewage systems when it would rain the water would pool around right houses and um, so all those things second i would say uh, are the changing rainfall patterns like this year there was a huge uh, uh you know resurgence upsurge of cases uh in uh, case of dengue is because uh we experienced a lot of monsoon this year okay then uh the third most important thing is delayed preventive measures so what we basically do is uh, we do a source reduction in um case of prevention of dengue we uh, essentially try to uh, remove the breeding sites of dengue fever which is the mosquito breeding sites so uh, that happens uh, in some places like in mumbai they would start it in sometime in january all right but in places like up where there was a lot of cases this year around so they wouldn't um, they would uh, maybe delay it till just a month before the monsoon and they won't take as much uh, preventive measures so uh, these are some of the reasons that are um, causing it and then we have poor living conditions for people many of them are living in poor conditions so those are the particular reasons and um, i should also mention here that um, in 2008 we had uh, only eight states and union territories which reported uh, dengue cases on the contrary by 2019 the diseases uh, was found in as many as 35 states and union territories altogether with an 11 fold rise in the total number of cases so you see i mean where are we going heading towards yeah this was very enlightening um and to the next question uh as you mentioned that the world health organization has included in its has included dengue fever in its list of the ntds but has it also conducted any successful campaigns or are there any other international institutes who conducted campaigns and how successful were they okay so i would uh, particularly uh, as you mentioned that uh, who included them uh, and included dengue in the list of entities i would particularly also like to mention uh, talk about what are the government level initiatives that are being taken up so for uh, globally what happens is like there's a global strategy which was developed and circulated worldwide for um, you know prevention dengue control and prevention and uh, who has uh, you know is partnering with various governments to sort of control this uh, disease in india particularly there's a, a program that runs by the name of national vector borne uh, disease control program it includes uh, six vector borne diseases uh, which is malaria dengue lymphatic filariasis kala azar japanese encephalitis and chikungunya together okay so dengue comes under the purview of this program and uh, there are various uh, there's this uh, uh, national dengue day uh, there's a dengue day which is celebrated on 16th of may okay so uh, there are various initiatives and uh, the government is doing its bit but like i said that uh, poor urbanization poor unplanned urbanization lack of water and sanitation facilities uh, poor awareness all those things they are you know they basically contribute to uh, the upsurge of cases right so uh, it would not be prudent of for me to uh, 
talk about the success or failure of any program but i can only uh, uh, advance my my two cents about it so i would say that for any program to run successfully there's a, a lot of impetus that needs to be laid on intersectoral collaboration so if i am the health department i should collaborate with the urban planning department right so i should be planning um, with the water sanitation department i should be uh, 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 collaborating with the agriculture department you know so all those departments coming together thinking about like we ha- we have to prevent the breeding sites for mosquitoes right we have to ensure pro- proper planning so that you know there is proper uh, drainage uh, there is proper disposal of waste so that has to be kept into uh, picture if we want a successful campaign definitely there are uh, efforts being done by the governments all across the world even in india but then uh, an intersectoral approach is very very essential for the success of these programs i have a question here sorry sorry to bother but uh, like so basically government is putting out lots and lots of information about dengue fever but do you think it is really reaching the people who who don't have access to anything literally like do you think what are your views on this like we, the, is it reaching uh, in, is this information reaching people who really need it like people like us know some things about this but there are people who literally don't know anything so what are your views on this my view would be like i said that the government i wouldn't deny government's efforts okay they are doing their bit but uh, you know like when we are uh, talking about reaching out to the masses and reaching out like basically we need to contextualize knowledge to their local context right it's not like we are using like i said we use a lot of jargons we use a lot of technical terms so it has to be simplified it has to be contextualized to their settings right and uh, of course um, like you said we are uh, aware we are in a better position we have access to technology we have access to informations and materials okay but these people they do not have information so uh, this is basically it's not about just access to information it is also about bringing about a behavior change okay so uh, you know just you just leave aside uh, the people who are super underprivileged i'm talking about even people like us okay how many of us actually know that uh, dengue uh, uh, mosquito can breed in leftover pepsi in pepsi can or water in pepsi cans i'm just asking we, we are also not aware about that right so it is an entire process of bringing about a behavior change and uh, i still think there's a lot of penetration that needs to be done in terms of dengue malaria has definitely gone much deeper right although the preventive um, uh, the preventive aspects of uh, dengue are quite somewhat similar to malaria okay but um, but you know uh, a little more about the symptoms of dengue how do like you asked me what are the distinguishing features those have to be told right so they definitely these campaigns need a much larger penetration to the wider audience and um, also i feel that uh, this has to be acted upon by the audience also so if i am an audience to a campaign 
I have to actually think that you know if I've had that information, if I've been provided by an information, how well am I actually utilizing it in my own uh, setting? Okay, so I think it has to be a bi-directional thing. But yes, the particular audience that you are talking about, like the tribals, like the people who are uh, more underprivileged, they have to be handheld. They literally have to be handheld. Okay, and uh, the government is doing their bits by distributing, uh, uh, you know, insecticide um, bed nets, the bed nets which are sprayed with insecticides. Those things are being done, but how well are Uh, you know the the beneficiaries using those bed nets is a matter of i think is a matter of research and we have to have a beneficiary feedback research set up also here so that we know that how well uh, these campaigns are uh, you know ensuring uh, and what kind of impact are these campaigns actually um, putting uh, forth we'll move on to the next question so as a public health enthusiast what suggestions would you give to the general public and our listeners for our today's topic okay so uh, i would uh, sort of uh, segregate my suggestions into certain categories one is the technical suggestions like uh, ensure that there are no you know the water doesn't pool in around you you know around your house in your um, within your house okay so if you are using uh, water coolers okay and you are keeping uh, water contained in containers so just ensure that they are covered with lids okay and if there are inevitable places where water gets pooled okay so you could probably spray some sort of um, Uh, you could spray some insecticides you could spray some um even oil works in certain cases okay uh, that is there then uh, there are uh, various uh, you have to ensure uh, especially all these measures to be ensured in the uh, rainy season okay then you should wear full sleeves ensure that there's no bare skin that is showing especially during the monsoons right <laughs> there's no mon- yeah there, there are no mosquitoes around here anyway so uh, ensure that cover your legs when you go- cover your legs cover your arms when you're going out especially for your kids because they would go out playing the puddles so uh, let them have fun but just ensure that they wear uh, full sleeves and uh, put some sort of mosquito repellents all right and um, all those things those are the technical advices which is that you know which basically it's it's to do about the breeding sites so uh destroy all the breeding sites for mosquitoes and if you are going in places which are uh, full of mosquitoes like maybe you're going into the greens like a lot of greenery is there so obviously you would find mosquitoes there so just ensure that you wear full clothes so that the mosquitoes can't find any space to bite you okay and um, that is there and you could spray aerosols that we get so insecticides etc that can be done now that is uh, the technical suggestion as a public health expert the second would be please implement these suggestions okay <laughs> so it, they sound as simple as they may be keep you know like 
what's the big deal we just have to avoid um water from from pooling yeah i know it but then it's there around you okay garbage is lying there that is there so i would just say that please implement them take these things seriously because they are as simple as uh, they may sound but they are very effective okay so like in case of covid we thought oh is just a mask oh how would social distancing help but then researchers have proven how how essentially important are preventive practices okay so the second suggestion would be that please implement these okay and uh, try to raise as much awareness as you can with uh, like people coming to your houses who are maids who um, are you know the the workers that come to our houses you know that what kind of uh, you know conditions do they live in so just try to raise as much awareness in their cases as well yeah we totally agree with all the points you mentioned definitely i have definitely noted them down and i'm hoping everyone else does it too yes for sure <laughs> on to the next question uh, the thermal cycling or the climate change does that have an effect on the replication cycle of the dengue virus okay so uh, uh, without delving too much into the technical details of it i'll simply put it this way that like i mentioned that uh, dengue happens in hot warm humid conditions okay tropical and subtropical like we discussed in the beginning now what is happening is climate change is happening temperatures are rising worldwide now when the temperatures are rising so obviously our vectors the protagonists the heroes the mosquitoes they have been you know they are reaching places that they had never traveled to before so an indian mosquito is probably now in europe having a world tour of europe all right because overall the temperature of the world is rising so the countries which were much colder where the mosquito essentially couldn't uh, thrive uh, have become warmer so automatically that brings an invitation for our hero to be there the mosquito reaches europe america right and then and due to that we are also seeing an upsurge of not i won't say upsurge but emergence so these diseases are emerging in colder places where they were never found before okay so that directs us to the problem of climate change that actually points us towards the fact that yes climate change is real and uh that is uh, making the mosquitoes reach to those heights and areas all right and um, and then when the mosquito reaches there mosquito is happy and uh, uh, you know on a vacation mode so the virus replicates within the mosquito and then the virulence the everything increases all right so basically that that yes definitely the effect of climate change is being seen you know is being witnessed in terms of emergence of uh, these cases uh, the dengue in colder places as well thank you for answering two birds with one stone ma'am on to the next one prachi um so what measures should be taken while storing drinking water so that the mosquito life can be arrested this question is 
like especially for the ones living in uh, economically weak strata of the society like where the equipments of the filters are frequently available or unavailable right so like i mentioned that uh, what the basic purpose of entire prevention strategy is to uh, destroy the breeding sites of these mosquitoes right so the breeding sites are water puddles of water and not only just puddles of water but micro spaces where water Uh, gets collected like i mentioned in a can of say uh, cold drink or uh, in a small container where even there is a fine uh, very little quantity of water there also the mosquito breeds so uh, when we are talking of visible uh, places where a person would store water the the first advice would be kindly cover that uh, storage container okay and uh, that is the the uh, the only and the most effective way of dealing with it so we basically have to cover it and because that's supposedly your drinking water you cannot spray it with anything or you cannot do any other things but basic thing is that we need to cover the places where water gets collected and also if there are uh, say for example there are uh, uh, you need to uh, you know there are wa- flower vases that many of the people like to keep at houses of course this doesn't pertain to the uh, many of the lower uh, socio economic strata but i'm just i'm quoting an example so where you have to have water you need to change that water regularly okay so for example coolers we have home coolers so keep that water changing uh, you know every say although we keep filling in and we do our bit but then if it is there it is lying there try to keep the cooler empty if it's not being used and if it is being used you need to just keep on changing the water so just that thank you for providing such a unique perspective and on to our last question um are the are mosquito repellents really effective in the prevention of mosquito borne topical fevers and how to what extent are they really helpful okay so uh, this is again a very uh, it it is a topic which requires a lot of research right but and that is being done it is underway but basically i just uh, try to put it this way that basically mosquito repellents they do not kill the mosquito okay they basically just don't allow the mosquito to sit on your skin and bite you okay so that is the basic purpose of uh, mosquito repellent so if you say that i'll put on a mosquito repellent and go uh, you know bare armed or bare legs in a puddle of water near a puddle of water and then i'd be saved i'll be you know safeguarded of these diseases that won't work okay so uh, these are just uh, mosquito repellents basically they act as aids for uh, you know sort of uh, not letting the mosquito sit there just to bite you okay but you have to ensure that you know you do not go to places where there are a lot of mosquitoes unnecessarily and if you go you wear full sleeves and you know and essentially just destroy the breeding sites that is the basic idea so i they are the mosquito repellents definitely aid 
and uh, also there are diff- different chemicals of mosquito repellents etc but um, what we hear of um, the natural mosquito repellents they there are natural then there are man chemicals and all those things but natural ones would provide you um, repellents for some time very short period of time the other ones which are the chemical ones would give it a longer uh, duration of repellents so uh, just those things yeah but but majorly these are aids they're not like they're not the sole preventive measures they are our best bet until we have anti mosquito armor yeah exactly excellent of uh, you know uh, who can fight these mosquitoes yeah but as much as much as we would like to continue our discussion and explore your treasure trove of knowledge we are out of time and we're extremely grateful to have been able to speak to you today to learn so many new things and to definitely implement them in our lives and i hope our listeners feel the same as well you sure. made some great points in the meeting today ah <laughs> i'm so glad to be doing this with you guys i think you are all are doing a wonderful job and um, it's always a pleasure to talk about public health and uh, generally make everybody aware around it and i am so so honored to be with you guys thank you so much we are so honored to have you